This is episode 93 with Rachel Peterson. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. This episode is brought to you by BackerKit. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the spreadsheet nightmares after your campaign is done. Let me explain. Once you have hundreds of new backers for your product, you're going to be exporting a ton of customer data that is probably going to change. People will need to change their shipping address. They'll want to downgrade some of their rewards. They'll want to buy more rewards. And when you don't have a system in place to help with this, it's actually going to be taking a lot more of your time dealing with customer service admin, and you're probably going to screw stuff up, which is not good long-term for customer relations. BackerKit gives you a full done-for-you software platform online where you can easily manage all of your customer data. And my favorite part about working with them is that once your campaign actually wraps up, they help you get additional sales from your customers by offering to upsell to more rewards or options that you may or may not have on your campaign. They have worked with more than 2,000 projects, delivering more than 3.5 million rewards um, and products. This could be digital products or, heck, even physical products to you guys. They've been amazing to work with. I've partnered with them on the show because I've worked with them in the past and they are amazing. So if you are looking for a partner after your campaign, that's going to make your life super easy. They are the ones to go to. To find out more information, go to backerkit.com. But wait, at checkout, they're actually giving the uncut listeners, which are you guys, going to give you 50% off of their setup services. So when you go to backerkit.com, go to checkout and use the five code uncut, U-N-C-U-T. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Crowdfunding Uncut. I'm Kirsten, your host, and this lucky lady, you might recognize her voice uh, from episode 47 when we talked about social media strategies to make your campaign go viral. Um, Just a bit of a backstory. Uh, Today, we're just going to be diving straight into the juicy content. If you do want a backstory on Rachel and all the amazing things that she's done and why she's such a social media powerhouse, check out episode 47. We will link to it in the show notes. Um, but I thought it was relevant to bring Rachel on again, because I, you know, Rachel, I call you my unofficial business partner. (laughs) Funny because like without, she's the secret weapon behind my campaigns, um, and the launches that we do because she heads up the, uh, the social awareness and the paid Facebook traffic in the audience building side of it. And she's gone on to become super um, successful with physical products and Amazon sellers and, you know, helping us with Kickstarter launches. Um, and I actually got our sponsor backer kit to, um, James and I were in a back and forth email correspondence and he was like, Hey, yeah, um, I'm digging the podcast, but I have an, a suggestion. I'm actually looking for an episode on a deep dive into Facebook advertising because what, you know, what you've done on the show so far is just skims the surface, but I, I want to be able to have like an actionable episode where it's for someone who's learning to build audience and learn how to do Facebook ads and they want to really get to the heart of what makes an effective campaign as opposed to messing around with the metrics and insights and all that yourself. So he, he asked me to create an episode on this and I thought like who better to bring on the show than the very person who does all of this in our business. So um, Rachel, I'm just really excited to get to jam with you on this episode. We're going to have so much fun as always. <laughs> I know. Um, 
Okay, so we don't need to go into your background, but can you uh, tell me, well, tell the audience just a little bit about uh, the products you specialize in and uh, let's go from there and then we'll just do as we go. Definitely. So at this point in time, it's so crazy how much has changed since I last was on your podcast, Uh, but I specialize in a lot of different products. Lately, I've been really loving physical products and kind of just this world of like Amazon and e-commerce and big product launches. I think that they're super exciting and there's so, it's such a, it's almost like an underground world, this entire e-commerce thing. And most people don't even have any idea as to how big this audience is and how much money there is in this underground world of product launches. So that's something I've been having a lot of success in, both on the education side, partnering with some of the top educators in the Amazon and e-commerce spaces, but then also on crowdfunding and in the management of communities after a, a launch. It's so much fun. Yeah, but what what we get into it are the different stages, like a life cycle of a product, where with us, you help with the very beginning stages of a new product when we have no next to no data on what is going to make an effective campaign. And a lot of what we do is like the granular testing and validating and figuring out what sticks, right? Versus the brands that you also work with that have an established product. And the goal for that would just be to increase sales. I'm curious, like from your perspective, considering the two different kinds of uh, product advertising you could do, like what would you say... Can you walk me through the difference between a product launch versus just a sustaining a business on Amazon? Absolutely. I mean, it's totally different. I like what you just said about the whole um, validation and kind of really figuring out the market. And that's one of the biggest things with a newer product. Whenever you're starting this new product, this new store, a new brand, one of the things that you have to discover is what messaging resonates with your audience. And, you know, it sounds easy enough. Well, you just, you, you survey your market. Well, what if you don't have a market yet? You have no following. Everything is brand new. And that's where the almost real-time data from Facebook advertising comes into play. It's something that you, Kirsten, you and I have been doing for a couple of our clients lately, finding out which messaging most closely resonates with the potential market. And so it's kind of several things that happen in once in that first stage of validation. It's figuring out who the market is, figuring out which of the messaging, you know, messagings that we create resonates with them. And then how do we actually turn them into a raving following? So there are three really big steps that we take on in that validation process using Facebook advertising. So why would you say, because it's second nature to us and we know it's a no-brainer, um, why we kind of force clients to go through this initial testing as opposed to just taking five grand and running campaigns with it. Why would you say this testing and this testing and validation part is so important to not skip? Oh, it's so important to not skip. Um, I have a very conservative approach to starting that validation process. You know this. Um, it's something where I'm very careful. I don't like to blow a big budget until it's been tested. And here's why. If you've ever run Facebook ads before and your cost per acquisition, your cost per email lead, your cost per engagement is incredibly high and you're like, this isn't working. Nothing is working. Well, that's a pretty good sign that you have not yet identified who your market is and what the messaging is that resonates. So rather than take a $5,000 budget and just start running ads, that's kind of, it's almost a little bit foolish. No offense if that's something that you're doing at this time. (laughs) Everybody kind of starts there. But if you don't know yet what is going to attract the market, you're just going to be spending money on something that hasn't been proven. 
So what we usually do is we have this ramp up period where we test multiple images, videos, different types of creatives against several different types of copy you know, short form copy, long form copy, copy that establishes the pain points and recognizes them or that raves about the product. And then when you combine all of that with testing different variations of landing pages, it's very, very quickly established which creatives are performing the best, which copy is performing the best, which landing page is performing the best. And then you can finally tune different markets or different market segments to figure out who this is that you want to attract to your product long-term. Yeah. And just to give some context to people who maybe are new to the, completely new to the online space, um, what we're talking about are sales funnels where the, this is the, the, the mechanics of how we build an email list is we set up a landing page, which is a one page website to capture email addresses. And we create a Facebook campaign to drive traffic to that page to have them opt in. So just a bit of context there. Love that. But so, okay. And me just thinking from a newbie perspective, sir, I have trains going. <laughs> Let me just close the door for one second. Rookie mistake. <laughs> but, uh, oh, well, whatever. It's podcasting. Uh, I will get Dylan to edit this out. If you're listening. Anyways. Um, yeah. And that it's cool because there's a bit of a difference between what you and I do, Rachel, like you are the one hired to create the copy and work your magic. Um, and what, I, well, you, you know, you actually do coach your, um, your SMU guys to how to really extract and like, you know, start with copy and how to determine what kind of copy to, to start with and whatever. So uh, I think this is actually great. Next question is, you, you know, we, how do we know, which three sets we want to start testing. Like, what does that look like? Because when we talk about a product launch, like where I start is I start with customer avatar and I figure out, okay, who are our top three demographics and why would they be interested? And then kind of use that to play around with copy and whatever. But I'm, I'm curious what your process looks like for that. Definitely. So I will say that it has grown and it has changed quite a bit. So at this point, I know how to set up Um, campaigns that test all of those things at once, only because at this point, I know how to read the data very quickly and look at what it's telling me. So I can look at several different campaigns that are running at once and find the underlying um, success or lack of success and determine what is working on the copy creative and everything. But the best advice I have for each person is to start with one or two audiences at first and say, okay, this is the most likely to convert audience. This is the obvious choice. Let's start with this. And then craft one or two sets of copy that are kind of based on proven copy that you've seen. So how do you find proven copy? When you're on Facebook, take a look at the ads that are going through your feed. And when you see an ad that is getting a ton of likes or shares or comments, that's a good sign. It's a performing copy. So take a look at it and don't steal it, but swipe inspiration from it. Um, And then oddly enough with creatives, if the targeting and the copy are right, the creative is not necessarily as important. Now, there are things that you can finally tune, like using a video versus a graphic, and that can make a huge difference long-term, but you don't want to start with testing every single element of a campaign 
or else you're going to find that you're very overwhelmed. You don't know what is or isn't working. Um, So start with the biggest things first. And then once you have a winning set of copy, you have a winning audience group, then start to test out, let's do videos and try a video view objective campaign. Okay, now let's try a complete registration campaign. So that's when you can start to really test out the different creatives. But like I said, at this point, I test it all at once only because I'm very familiar with how to read the data and let it determine what comes next. Which, okay, so it's kind of like split testing. How with landing pages, you don't want to try a million different variables at once because then you'll have an impossible time knowing what's converting. Um, If you had to only test one thing at a time, what would you start with? Hmm. Copy, for sure. Copy is pretty important. Um, If your copy isn't explaining the benefits of your product very well, it doesn't matter what audience you send it to. It certainly doesn't matter what the picture is. And good copy can cure a lot of issues in a bad ad set. So if you have copy that is on fire, you know, it's, it's quickly able to be digested, people are reading it and resonating, there's a lot of forgiveness on bad images. And also you're going to pull the people from a bad audience that still would have been interested. So let's say we had a product for like a mom and we launched it to, because just for some freak reason, we made a mistake and we launched it to moms and dads. Well, the copy is going to automatically resonate with the moms. So they're going to be the ones most likely to interact. So good copy acts as a qualifier. Have you seen any kind of copy outperform others in most cases? Ooh, I have one set of copy that I use for most of my ad campaigns, and it's performing way better than anything else. Um, So that's a specific formula that I use. Um, by far that's been the best. And the first thing that it does is it grabs attention with the first sentence. So if in the first sentence you're able to identify the pain point and get the person to say, yeah, I have that issue or yeah, I would love to have that fixed. That is going to outperform anything else. And if nothing else in your copy is quality, that first line gets them interested more often than not, it pulls the click. That makes sense. Um, okay, so I'd like to walk through an example just to give people some context. Um, I'm just trying to pull up one of our client chats here. Okay, what about like, because what makes up a Facebook ad? You have the headline, you have the long or short form ad copy, and then you have the image or creative, right? I always sort it into three categories, and that is like audience slash interest. So that's mm-hmm. the targeting. And then there's copy, and then there's the creative, which is the image or the or the video. Mm-hmm. Do you like to? Okay, so just say one of the clients we're working with is a bath time companion for their child, and perhaps one of the ad sets we could test are like, or not not set, sorry, but the creative itself and what that looks like on your Facebook feed. Um, some question to pull them in, like, do you dread bath time, or parents, do you suffer with this? And then like. You know, can you walk me through maybe the the flow of how someone reads an ad and maybe how to take that into consideration when you're creating it? Absolutely. So for that type of ad, I would literally think about I'm I'm a mom to two kids and bath time is always filled with tears. So that one's really easy for me to create. Yep. The the, the first line <laughs> would say something like, Does your bath time with your kids look more like um I, I can't think of it off the top of my tongue, but like, let's say does bath time 
end with tears, meltdowns, and tantrums. And instantly when I read that, I think, yes, (laughs) can you (laughs) fix it? So then you could just simply add a testimonial as the next line, like this product, I won't say who it is, but this product solved my bath time issues with my kids. They're no longer dreading bath and we end our night on a happy note. So that answers the question in the first line for me. It's like, oh, this is another parent that had that same issue. And then I would continue to read. Actually, at that point, I would probably just click through and be like, yep, tell me more. Let's go straight to the landing page. I don't even need to read more. (laughs) You've got my vote. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I'm just reading one of the questions that James from Backerkit um, sent in. I love this one because, you know, I wanted to ask you this myself, but ads with a lot of likes and comments perform a lot better once you scale them to advertising. So my first question is how, walk me through, cause you did this when your, um, your love story went viral. You mm-hmm. didn't just boost your posts with no likes and comments and engagement. Like, can you walk me through that process of how, and when is the right time to boost a post when you might get more traction with it based on having social proof already? Yeah, this is something I do with a lot of my clients right now. So we post a lot of content, either theirs or from other sources, to their Facebook page. So the warm audience sees that content first. And if they start to organically engage with that content, that's a pretty good sign that it's hitting the mark. And so personally, I'm not a fan of running boosted posts on anything that is not already organically converting. Um, This is an issue I see a lot with people who are starting their Facebook ads. They have something that they put out there organically. Nobody likes it. They think, oh, I'll put more money behind it. Well, if it was a dud organically, it's most likely going to be a dud on paid advertising as well. The exception to this is if you have a brand new page and you really don't have a following yet, but Mm -hmm. don't put tons of money behind something until you test it out for $5 and see how it performs. Um, but so when I start to see something organically getting traction, yeah, that's a pretty good sign that there are more people who are going to resonate with it and seeded with social proof of others who have said, yeah, I like this. This is awesome. Yeah. It's kind of like the popular popularity algorithm on Kickstarter. When, once you have a bit of social proof that your campaign is selling, that's when it starts to see more momentum from the platform and other people, right? Bingo. (laughs) Right. So James later asked, um, you know, to build on that um, ads with a lot of likes and comments perform a lot better. Should I optimize the audience and goal for engagement first? And then why didn't the audience switch the goal to clicks after I have enough social proof for the ad? I have done that in the past, but I wouldn't recommend doing that until you make sure that you have nailed down what the interest copy and creative should be. And the reason being, if you're trying to just get engagement and you have no idea who your audience is or if it's even a popular subject or, you know, if you haven't validated it, then I don't recommend doing that. But I'm a huge fan of starting with engagements as your goal. And then this is where things can get kind of advanced. So if you're not at the advanced stage in Facebook ads, like put your hands over your ears and go la 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 because this will sound kind of confusing. But sometimes when I run ads, I'll actually test different objectives against each other with the same end goal in mind. So let's say we wanted to get a complete registration or somebody opting in with their email address. I would maybe do one that has a video and have video views be the objective. I would have one that leads to the landing page with a complete registration objective and one that is website clicks. So three different objectives. All We have the same goal for all three, 
but mm-hmm. you never know which one is going to perform the best because one might get a ton of social proof and then slowly get cheaper for the cost per registration. And maybe on that particular day, you're not competing with as many people for website click space. And so all of a sudden that one seems to be doing the best. So you can test different objectives and try them out and see what works the best. Has, has there been one objective that, because that's what um, I find weird about Facebook ads is you can target audience and interests and then you have a performing ad, but it will perform differently based on the campaign objective that you have. So is there one that would work better than others or like a default one that you think people should start with? You know, my answer has changed for that a lot just because I've seen every single one work differently. So for example, I'll just use my own, my own offer as an example. I have one video that I run and my goal for that is video views. And when I first ran that campaign, I was really bummed because I wasn't getting people to opt into or not even opt into to purchase my, my membership. And I was like so bummed out about it. I was like, I'm getting all these views, but I'm not getting anybody to purchase. They're just watching the video and then they're done. And so then I started adding a second tier and I remarketed to everybody who watched that video. And I did two different uh, types of objectives. I did one with website clicks, one with complete registration or purchase um, optimization. And then all of a sudden it was converting like gangbusters, which was awesome. So now that video view objective is still running and it collects an occasional purchase but the actual cost per acquisition is still really high until you get to the remarketing side of things. I love that. Now, I'm going to pause. We cannot forget to thank the guys over at BackerKit for sponsoring this episode. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the logistics, spreadsheets, and... um, Sorting customer data, not only do they help make customer address changes super easy or changing rewards after someone has already bought, but the power is that they also help you um, do upsells and downsells and take care of all that. So if you don't have a system or platform already set up, um, they've already built that for you. And the best part, you can find them at backerkit.com, but they've actually um, created a discount code for the uncut listeners, which are you guys. So if you go to to uh, check out, use the code UNCUT, U-N-C-U-T. They're going to give you 50% off of their startup services, which is amazing. Um, so if you want to keep selling and keep making money and stay super organized um, after your campaign, they are the guys to go to. I've worked with them on a few campaigns now, and they are amazing. Again, backerkit.com. Have we done any, because um, I know we've done a lot of video marketing with Jamstack, Mm-hmm. through Facebook ads. Have we done any remarketing at that level? And I was curious like how we can apply this to future campaigns. We haven't yet, but we definitely will as the campaign goes live. But the only yes. reason that we haven't, so anyone who's listening, Jamstack is like an anomaly. There's something amazing going on where the video is performing so well. The audiences are like crazy excited crazy. about it. Yeah. So <laughs> literally we are, we are able to spend thousands of dollars and get more than one email opt-in per dollar that we're putting in. So for the first, I think 1500 leads, it was 86 cents per opt-in, which is so low. Like guys, that's crazy. And so we don't even have to necessarily remarket because people are opting in on the first try. Like mm-hmm. there's no questions asked. They're opting in. 
which is really, really cool. I love that. <laughs> Me too. Cause we have our projects are ranging anywhere from like what, two fifty a lead down to 80 cents. Like it's yep. just, it's, it's crazy. Um, and I find too, that what you mentioned with membership and remarketing, you have like a second goal in your sales funnel is they watch the video and they become familiar with you, but then it's like, Hey, do you want to find out more information about this next thing? And then they can actually be brought through a process where they can buy something right away. Um, but with pre-launch marketing efforts for Kickstarter, we don't have anything we could buy right now. So it's just like awareness at this point. Mm -hmm. So So it's almost like that second tier is built in with the campaign, which is kind of cool. Um, and it's also going to be interesting to see how it converts. I have a good feeling about it though. Oh, me too. Me too. Uh, well, we just see behind the scenes, like people are going... (laughs) I mean, knock on wood, like we, we launch in a few days. Um, by the time you, you guys listen to this, hopefully we'll be at $1 million, but uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So um, it's great that we actually started talking about the once you're live, what you do with um, ads and whatnot. So I'm curious, what kind of ad works best for a live Kickstarter campaign that you see? So one of the things that's really important for launches, I've been a part of quite a few now, um, and I think sometimes we rely so heavily on email that we assume that email is going to get through to every single person. But as everybody kind of knows, email rates for, you know, open rates for emails aren't necessarily reliable. It's, it can be anywhere from 10 to 50%, but that means that 50% of those emails that you didn't get um, to open it was wasted money. And so another way to think of it is that that audience is your warmest audience now. They've already indicated interest. So I like to create Facebook ads that actually mimic what's going on in the emails as if they've never even seen the email. So that way that they're aware that the campaign is launching, it's go time. Um, And I actually learned that from credit where credit is due, Nicholas Kuzmich. He's amazing, Mm -hmm. king of like everything Facebook ads. But he said, you know, you need to make sure that your Facebook ads are copying what the email is or similar to it. So they're echoing it and they see this launch everywhere and don't forget to be a part of it. So what would that look like? To just say I email um, or, you know, Chris emails his jam stack list to say, hey, we are live. And 70% of people do not open that email. Do we pull the the list of people who have not opened the email and then use that as a custom audience on Facebook and market the email to them or like, I would say just market to everybody on the email list. The reason being that's your warmest audience. And those are the people who are most likely to like comment and share and say, you know, Hey, I backed this project. You should back it too. It's pretty cool. And so it's another opportunity. It's another touch point for them to you know, see it and share it with their friends. But the other thing that's really cool too, and I think this is especially important with crowdfunding, is when people are backing a project, their biggest fear is that the founder is going to ghost with all the money because mm-hmm. it does happen. It's like kind of like the unspoken thing in crowdfunding. And the more that you can prove to them, hey, we're here, we're real, we're active, we're doing things, we're making this happen, the more at ease they feel about backing a project, even if they weren't going to back it day one. Yep. Exactly. The more proof you could show that the product actually exists, the more proof you could show that you're almost ready to manufacture and the more you communicate, like it's, it's trust, right? Absolutely. So when we look at 
Um, I love, I really, really loved your part about marketing to people on, on your email list. What about when we're trying to get new audience in like to our campaign? I understand that uh, Kickstarter, you cannot remarket, but you can, or retarget, sorry, but you can on Indiegogo. So let's say you're trying to drive cold traffic to your Kickstarter campaign. Um, single image carousel video, what kind of ad would work best for that? I'd probably test all of them. Um, Based on what we've seen, for example, with Jamstack, I would definitely use like the longer version of the video mm-hmm. and get them to the landing page. But we know which audiences are performing the best based on our testing and validation and then in our full, you know, first round of email seeding. And so through that, we're able to continue to market to the audience, excluding um, and maybe including the email backers so that they can like it and give that social proof that we're looking for. But honestly, like, I think my gut tells me, you know, a video, um, something that says we're live now, um, that kind of mirrors that email. I think that's going to be really powerful. Yeah. And not to mention like anyone listening, if you look at the dates of your campaign, like if you're doing a 30 day campaign, what sort of, um, gift option dates fall into that? Like, I know Mother's and Father's Day is coming up. Could this be an angle for you to test as well, right? Yep. Yep. I think that's huge. Yeah, same here. Um, So for audience targeting, I know the answer to this, but this is another question for the audience, really. But for audience targeting, is the best audience a look-like audience based on my campaign email list? You know, sometimes. Usually that works. Um, with lookalikes, the biggest thing that you want to keep in mind is the bigger your audience that you're creating a lookalike from, the more accurate it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So what that means is let's say I have 100 people in a room in Minnesota and it attracts you know, a certain type of person. Well, that's great, but we're only going to get that certain type of person from Minnesota. Whereas if I created events across the entire United States or worldwide and brought people in from all these different countries and different states and different demographics, it's going to find what those mutual bonds or those similar characteristics are and then create lookalikes based on that. So the bigger your sample size is to create a lookalike audience from, the more successful the lookalike audience will be. Great clarification. Um, is there a minimum audience size that we need to do a lookalike for? Yes, for sure. So Facebook has a minimum audience size of 100, and they recently made it so it can be 100 from several different countries. It used to only be one country. Now, here's the thing that gets tricky with email lists versus, let's say, website traffic. Website traffic is a little bit easier to create a lookalike from, mm-hmm. but with email addresses, a lot of people use a different email address for Facebook than they do for signups for things. Mm -hmm. So if you use a different email, Facebook can't necessarily pair that data. So you're going to need a lot more. And the amount of, well, let's say like the percentage of match ratio can be anywhere from 25 to 75%. I've even heard of as low as 10%. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it that way, you might need as many as a thousand emails to make um, a lookalike because only 100 of those match the Facebook data. Yeah. I mean, God, managing Facebook campaigns for, for launches is insane. Cause just, 
as you're speaking, I wanted to clarify a few things too. Like we have different lookalike audiences. We have um, the option when we go live to pull our email list and create a lookalike audience based on people who showed interest, but that's not going to be nearly as effective as pulling your backer emails. And so just to clarify, Kickstarter will not let you get access to your backer email addresses until your campaign closes. Whereas Indiegogo, you have access to that if and when you want it, um, which is great because you can then, once you have 100 or plus backers, you could then take those emails and create a lookalike. And then you have the exact um, like profile of who is buying your stuff because they will differ slightly from the interest list that your email address has. It Absolutely. I think that that's huge. Um, and that's a really good uh, distinction because the more qualified your audience is to create a lookalike audience from, the better it's going to perform. So the biggest, the first step might be a lookalike audience to website traffic. Then once you get enough opt-ins, then you do a lookalike audience to email opt-ins. And then once you get enough purchasers, then you can create a lookalike opt-in. Uh, audience to purchasers. And so it can continually get better with more and more data. Basically like data is king. And so the more you can get, the better your campaign is going to perform. 100%. So this next question, I really should have asked James for clarification what he wanted. (laughs) So I'm going to, I don't know the answer to this and I don't know if you will either, but, um, I'm going to try and uh, break down his question too. He is asking conversion data is in Kickstarter, but my ad performance data is in Facebook. So first off, I assume the conversion data he's talking about is the amount of traffic you get to your Kickstarter page versus the number of purchases. Right. Mm, Um, But then he goes on to say, is there any easy way to import Kickstarter conversion data into Facebook or a third party tool to make it easy to calculate how like cost per acquisition you know with kickstarter it's really tough so what this i think is kind of asking and you know james if you're listening to this and you're like no that's not what i meant at all just send me a (laughs) message and i'll clarify um but my gut tells me he's talking about conversion tracking with Mm -hmm. the kickstarter campaign and we've hit this this roadblock before where we're not able to directly pixel what's going on in Kickstarter. And so when you're running Facebook ads straight to a Kickstarter campaign, it's a little bit tricky because you're kind of flying blind. There's no easy way to track all of it. And some people are like, oh, well, there's this easy way. No, it's not. It's not easy. Not it's, easy. No. it's like hours and hours and hours of work creating all these redirecting links and all of this. But it still doesn't necessarily track where the conversion is coming from unless you have all the UTM code set up. It's like, it's craziness. And so my, I mean, are your efforts best spent there? Well, I guess only if you have a massive ad budget. I'm talking like $100,000 you want to put behind ads and it makes sense to mm-hmm. spend 15 hours creating all of those different tracking codes. And if somebody's created some software for that, and you're listening to this, oh my gosh, please email me and let me know. <laughs> if there's some like hack or secret software, oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Think of how many hours it would save you. I've... Seriously. Cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's... My, my last thing is um, when people come to you asking to work with you, what are some things you wish they had ready or prepared? Like what, what stage would you want them to be at in order for them to 
be at the right point to start on board, like bringing you on to their team? Ooh, for crowdfunding or product launches or launches in general? Launches in general. So where somebody needs to be at, I've taken a lot of calls with people in all the different various stages of launches, whether it's product launches, course launches, crowdfunding launches. And the biggest thing that I need is to see that there is a, a concept that makes sense, a product. There should be some type of market validation, whether it's like previous purchasers or your market's asking for it. Um, one of the areas that I see a lot of campaigns falling flat in is that they create a product that nobody really wants. Mm -hmm. And then they're so disappointed because they're throwing more and more money at it. And they think the more money that they throw at it, the more it'll fix it. But in reality, it wasn't something that the market even wanted. And so that's kind of always like a disappointing feeling. Um, but I like to see landing pages that are kind of put together that have a general uh, feel of something that's going to convert well. It's important to me that owners of products or info products take ownership and are really, really passionate about it. Sometimes it's difficult to run campaigns without the owner being present and a part of the launch. Yeah. The more active, visible they are, the better the launch is going to go more often than not. Um, so that's a huge part of it. And then I also like to see that they have a good size ad budget. The bigger your ad budget for me to test and then scale with, the more fun we're going to have together. So, I mean, will I take on a, at this point a launch of, you know, $500 to $1,000? No, not really. I need, you know, 2000 to 10000 or more to make sure that we're able to test and then scale where we see success. Or else you are handcuffed because there's only so much you could do with small ad budget. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. Well, my last question is like, what's the favorite product, your favorite product you've ever worked on? Oh my gosh. Hard question. Oh That's <laughs> so hard. Um, it's tough because I like a lot of them. Um, well, there's like, there's a, <laughs> there's a part of some of them that are appealing to like the mom in me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's actually, so I'm going to have to say it's one of two. It's one that we never got to work with that I wanted so badly because I loved the product. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just going to say it just in case she's listening to it. If you guys have not seen Luxolitarian, it's this gorgeous travel oh. purse. Oh my gosh. Like I wanted it. I wanted to rep it. I wanted to put it on Instagram. Like it, I was dreaming about it. I'm not even kidding you. The Luxolitarian was one I wanted so badly. I should probably email her. Okay, so <laughs> just for context, this is a woman who, the sweetest lady ever. And she came to me months ago and I was like, she, you know, she seemed a little coy at first. And then I asked to see a, a, a photo of this thing and this bag, like it had the makings of successful viral Kickstarter written all over it. And and Rachel, is, of course, is like, yeah, 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 I'll work for a bag. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do anything you want for free. I want it so bad. But I'm just kidding. But, like, it was beautiful. It was one that I was really excited about. Um, I'm not super big into, like, beauty or fashion, but I really like things that streamline convenience, especially for travel since mm -hmm. I travel a lot. And I've got a nice purse and everything, but all my stuff falls out. So anything yep. that like is a hack or makes my life easier with travel or being an entrepreneur, oh my gosh, I, I get so excited about it. Um, but then I'm going to have to say my favorite product that I've ever worked on is Pavlov. And I just love I how disruptive they are in the market. Um, I really just straight up enjoy working with them. I think 
it's so fun because we've been through like the highs and lows with them now. It's been, I think almost a year I've been working with Manish and we're going through everything from Shark Tank and like, we've had some fun, some real ebbs and flows together. Yeah, that was amazing to see what Shark, like the Shark Tank. Oh man, that was, how do I, how do I say it? Like I watched it and I've never believed that any press is, I believed until I saw this, that any press is good press until the Shark Tank episode. Oh my gosh. To see what they think. Just talk about bad press. Like, didn't our sales drop to zero for 48 hours until Manish came out of hiding and did like the AMA to talk about what he did? Yeah. And now at this point, I won't say who his name it is just in case, like for legal reasons or whatever, but a certain shark, anytime he talks about Pavlov, like the sales spike, even if he's saying something <laughs> awful, which is kind of funny, but, um, Thanks, buddy. It, was, it was really cool to be a part of that launch and, you know, to see how they've progressed over the last year, there's just been so many different iterations and seeing like Manish Sethi just completely take ownership of this product and turn it into something that's like a life-changing movement has been really cool. I know. Like talk about great branding. Um, I love the team and what they're doing. Such a good product too. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I think you have very good reasons for loving that. And if Manish is uh, listening, hello. She probably won't be. (laughs) Cool. And one, I would say one product I mean, we have a couple products right now that are mommy products that we're working on for like moms of kids. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm not a stereotypical mom, like I have a nanny and, you know, I love my kids, but I'm not like kids all day. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually like super anti like noisy toys and stuff. I like my kids to be doing things that like stimulate their brain and all that. Mm-hmm. But I really like taking on innovative mommy products and I understand the market. And so that's something if you're listening and you have a really cool product for mommies, contact Kirsten or I, and I would love to take that type of product and turn it into a massive success. Just like we're about to with two of our clients. Oh, isn't it? Okay. So I get pitched these two products before we brought them on. And I was like, Rachel, you're the mom. Is this a problem? <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, so this thing that solves this problem, is that, she's like, yes. I'm like, okay, okay, I guess. And, um, because I don't have kids, I don't understand. So I have to like get into the mind of a mother or just ask you, I'm like, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> it works. <laughs> it does. Like we have different strengths. I think that's why we work so well together. Um, absolutely. But yeah, it's, uh, no, it's so good. I mean, okay. If people want to find out more about how to work with you and what you're up to, where's a good uh, site to send them to? Definitely. The easiest place to get in touch with me and my team is rachelpeterson.com and it's spelled all E's and a D, so it's spelled completely wrong, <laughs> which I'm sure Kirsten will link to in the show notes. Um, or if you want to find me on social media, my handle for everything is the Mrs. Peterson, all E's and a D. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. I know we're going to connect later. Like we talk every day. (laughs) Thanks for having me again. I can't wait to see like what our next episode brings. Oh my God. Me too. World domination. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks Kirsten. All right, guys, if you want to see behind the scenes of crowdfunding campaigns or you are planning your own launch, you should check out 
crowdfundinguncut.com, we do have a physical product check, a launch checklist, which will take you through step-by-step what you need to do over six months to launch your crowdfunding campaign. If you want to get in touch with either Rachel or myself, um, email k at crowdfundinguncut.com and I'll be able to hook you up with either. So thanks so much for uh, digging the show and talk to you next week. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.